P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. It's Thursday. Welcome to the show. I'm excited today to welcome back um, a guest that I had on a, a while back, Rochelle Davis. Uh, good morning, Rochelle. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about adoptions today. Um, we talked a little bit about that the last time she was on, but it's more in-depth, kind of a little different spin today. And uh, Rochelle, you're out of Missouri, correct? Uh, Joplin? Yes, Joplin, Missouri, in the very southwest corner. A southwest corner, okay. You know, we very seldom have anybody from that part of the country. And you're also licensed, uh, you're a licensed investigator. And you're yes, also licensed, I'm licensed in, in Missouri and Kansas. Mm-hmm. In Kansas. Yeah, how did you get licensed in Kansas? Is well, I'm actually where I am. We really are in the the very very corner of the state. So I live about five or so minutes from Kansas. <laughs> from oh, that line, that would work. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, give us a little idea uh, how you ended up getting into the private investigation business. Yeah, last time I was on the show, we kind of talked a little bit about my story um, about. Three years ago, I, I got licensed in Missouri and then in Kansas, and um, my son, who is now four years old, uh, my husband and I adopted him, and when we adopted him, we ended up hiring a private investigator to locate his birth father to go through the, the whole process in adopting him, and um, just kind of through all of that, uh, in, in having that experience, you know, I wanted to stay at home with my son and, and be able to kind of, you know, dictate my own, my own hours for my job. And, um, so that's, I, at the time I was working as a crime analyst for my local police department. And so, uh, when we adopted him, it was just shortly after that. And just kind of through that experience that I decided to, uh, quit my job and get my, my license as a private investigator, and I, I definitely knew at the beginning that I wanted to, uh, you know, the focus to be adoption searches um, because obviously that's something that is near and dear to my heart. So that's mm-hmm. what I did. Very good, very very good. And so uh, you said you were a crime analyst at the police department. What does a crime analyst do actually? Oh, gosh. Um, A crime analyst kind of does a a whole host of things. Uh, At my department where I was here in Joplin, um, I did a lot of of crime mapping and using statistics to try and predict, you know, where crime is going to happen and why crime is happening in a certain part of the city and not another. Um, So a lot of statistics and mapping. And then there's another side to it as well where uh, I worked real closely with the investigations division and just kind of assisting them with their cases and and helping them to, um, you know, do their jobs. 
So um, in your bio, Rochelle, um, you said your work contributed to a, a major reduction um, yeah, in crime and, yeah, and, and, a reduction and in crime and Joplin. Yeah, yeah, it did. I, my position as a crime analyst, actually, I created the position uh, with a police chief at that time. We kind of wrote a proposal together that he presented to the the city council um, because at the time Joplin did not have a crime analyst, and so I was the first one to to step in that position. Were you already at the police department? No, I was actually a teacher. <laughs> That's just amazing. <laughs> so I know, very how in the world did that come about? <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was teaching school. That's what I did, just fresh out of school when I was 22 years old. And uh, I taught school for about seven years. And while I was teaching in the state of Missouri, at least at the time, I don't know if it's the same now, but um, at the time, I you know, wanted to go ahead and go on and get my master's degree you can, you know, be paid higher as a teacher. And, and, you know, most of the time when you're teaching, you get your master's in, in some kind of, you know, administration or, you know, some kind of a, a specific focus. Uh, but I knew I didn't want to teach forever. And so um, I chose criminal justice instead. And mm-hmm. so uh, I had no background at all in criminal justice. So I had to take a few undergraduate classes first you know, before I, I could be accepted into a master's program for criminal justice. But, but that's what I did while I was teaching. I, I got my master's in criminal justice, and then I okay. kind of started having talks with the police department here. Um, whenever I got my master's, I, the first crime analysis class I took, I thought, oh, this is it. You know, I, I really love really? this. And so, um, and I knew that they didn't have a crime analyst here in Joplin, and I wanted to to stick around here. Um, I've got family around here. This is where I'm from. I love this part of the country, and uh, so that's, you know, kind of what prompted that, and I I started talking with the police chief, and he he was uh, from Oregon, and he was from a department where they had crime analysis and and really, you know, saw the benefit of it, and so he was was fully on board, and that helped me tremendously, and and, uh, then they ended up hiring me for the position, so... You know, gives the chief a lot of credit for thinking outside the box because most uh, oh, yeah. agencies would never dream of hiring somebody that wasn't uh, was outside the police department. So that's yeah. just a, gives yeah. them a lot of credit for that. It, it was a big step, absolutely. I'll bet. I'll bet it was a big step, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll bet he got a lot of pushback from it too. <laughs> I think he did. I think he did. Initially, it was kind of interesting because you know they created the position for me and I got hired, and then you know started my first day at work, and they're like, "Well, okay, do what you're going to do." <laughs> oh wow! I just I can't even imagine. I can't. I can't imagine. People must yeah, have been looking was, at you fun. like it was really fun. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I spent more time the first few months of, of working there, just you know, educating everybody who worked there, who I was, and what my position was. You know, because a, a lot of them, they were like, "What? What is crime analysis? What? You know, what do you do?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that is just great. That's, you know, yeah, that makes a good story right there. <laughs> you should write something it up does, about it that. It does. <laughs> It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I love the name of your company, New Hope Investigations, because it says exactly to me what you're doing. It, it's so cool. Yeah, thank um, you. Did, 
did that name come right to you or uh, did you spend some time the, just the thinking name about came, what you did it? It came right to my husband, actually. <laughs> okay. He and I were, were just kind of talking about things as I was getting licensed and uh, he, you know, was like, hey, do you know what, what you're going to name your company? And, you know, a, a lot of people just kind of choose, you know, my name's Rochelle Davis, so it could be just, you know, Davis something or, you know, a lot of people do that. Right. Right. Uh, but uh, I, I knew from the beginning, you know, why I was doing this and that I wanted to offer adoption searches and that was going to be the focus. And so I did want, you know, to come up with something that was more relevant to that than to, you know, just kind of a generic PI company. Exactly. And uh, so my husband uh, actually was the one who, who came up with the name New Hope. Um, and, and I loved it. You know, as soon as he, he said it, I really liked it a lot. Um, yeah, it's, because it's it is, perfect. it's very, it, it explains exactly, you know, what I'm, I'm trying to give to my clients. I, you know, mm-hmm. they, they've maybe lost hope or, you know, tried themselves to, to search and, and haven't been successful. And, you know, a lot of times whenever I make connections with biological family members with, you know, another biological family member, um, it kind of is a, a new chapter for them. And, you know, I, I want to be seen as someone who gives them some hope and gives them, them hopefully some answers um, and allows them to kind of start that new chapter in their life and, you know, maybe close some doors, but then open, open new ones. So, so new hope. And at the time, I'm obviously, I'm not a, um, I think it's Star Wars. I, I'm probably just really shaming myself right now. I've never seen Star <laughs> Wars, but I think that there's a Star Wars that's, you know, entitled New Hope. So I've had a few people who are like, hey, are, are you a huge Star Wars fan? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, how funny. That's funny. Well, I didn't know that either. So there you go. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. So, okay. So um, now... Let me ask you about some of the associations you belong to, because I see you uh, are a member of, a, of several different genealogy associations. How does that yeah, help you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, um, genealogy is something that I have been getting into a lot more in the last year or so, um, just because genealogy really, especially you know, in this day and age, goes hand in hand with adoption searches so much. Um, you know, uh, DNA has become just a huge in the last year or two. It's just this, this big boom, uh, you know, every week it seems we're seeing a new story of, um, you know, two family members being reunited and it's through, you know, DNA, you know, one of them has taken a, a DNA test and another one maybe took a DNA test a few years ago or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, uh, they're being reunited through DNA, and, you know, then the DNA has also opened up this huge door now with a lot of cold cases and uh, identifying John Doe's and Jane Doe's and things like that, and um, it, it all is just wrapped up in genealogy, and uh, so I just, I kept finding myself in my work in, you know, trying to to find maybe a, a birth parent for an adoptee, and, you know, DNA has, has really been at the forefront of that. That's always something that I discuss with a potential client in the beginning. Have you taken a DNA test? And if you haven't, is that something that you would consider? Uh, because a lot of times people, you know, will come to me and really not have very much information. They know they're adopted, mm-hmm. 
um, you know, they might have a few bits of information, uh, you know, they might know the, the first name of their biological mother or something like that. And mm-hmm. this is the state I was adopted in. But, you know, other than that, I really don't have much information to go on. And maybe they live in a state where they can't access much more than that. And so mm-hmm. in those cases, instead of having to turn them away and say, well, you know, you really, there's just not enough information there to go on. You know, there, there's this option now of, hey, there, there is an option for you. Um, take a DNA test and let's see if anything pops up from that. And, um, and it's not just, you know, super simple where it's, oh, take a DNA test and then we'll get a, a name and an address and here you go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they'll have some matches uh, once they get their DNA results back but you have to at least know a little bit about genealogy and building family trees and making those connections in order to, you know, find answers for them. And so, you know, the, the more I was seeing that, I saw, oh, okay, there's a huge need for me here to um, learn more about genealogy. You know, I knew kind of the basics and, and I could get by, but I thought, oh, you know, this isn't good enough. I, I need to to learn more. And so um, I joined some, you know, different genealogy associations and started uh, delving into that and just kind of self-educating with different classes and making contacts with people and and practicing on my own family. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so, so yeah, so I, genealogy has really, uh, that skill I think is, is really imperative in a lot of situations. Um, when, when clients come to me and they don't have, you know, much to go on, there's that right. option now. So when you say take a DNA test, are you talking about like signing up with 23andMe or Ancestry.com, something like that? Yeah, you- yeah. There are several different companies like both of those. Um, there are several now um, that, that offer the, the same type of a DNA test. And they're all a little different. Um, they all kind of, you know, have, have their, their strengths and their weaknesses. And um, that's something I always go over with uh, a client in the beginning. If, you know, we're talking about doing a DNA test, uh, I give them some information on kind of, you know, those, those top companies, those names that you hear like 23andMe and uh, MyHeritage and Ancestry and, you know, a few others. You, you hear uh, those big names and, um, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, is it beneficial for me just to take a DNA test, you know, to register with one of these companies or is it beneficial for me to register with a couple of them if I'm just going to choose one, which one's the best? And, and really it depends on, on each person's um, own kind of situation and their own preferences. I mean, obviously... You know, my opinion is if you have the money and the wherewithal to do it, test with all of the major companies because I was gonna ask you that. they each, yeah, I, I personally have tested with, with all of the major companies. Um, you know, first, I mean, I, I did that so I can better educate my own clients to know, you know, how each company works. This, this is how it worked for me. And, you know, this was the turnaround time and these were the negatives and these are the positives. And um, because you never know if you have, you know, this one person out there that you're searching for, let's say, you know, it's a, a birth parent that you're searching for, you know, if that birth parent or um, ancestors of that, you know, uh, a 
people who are related to that birth parent, if any of them have registered their DNA, um, you know, you might register your DNA with Ancestry, but maybe a cousin has only registered with 23andMe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, okay, I registered and, oh, darn, there's no, you know, matches popping up here yet. Um, you know, that's something that we talk about. And, and it's it's always best, in my opinion, to put your DNA out there in each of those different groups. And, I mean, with time, I think that it, it's just going to be a matter of time where those are going to just kind of meld maybe in, into one. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, how, how that's going to happen or if that's going to happen. But, you know, a lot of them even now um, kind of talk to each other. So you can register your DNA with, with one company and then instead of having to pay to register and do the whole thing all over again with another company, you can actually um, take your your raw data from that company and upload it into another company's oh, really? database. Yeah, there are there are several of them now who are offering those types of things um, to where you know it it doesn't cost anything for you to do it or it's a minimal fee for you to do that instead of you know spending the whole you know normally it's around a hundred dollars and those things are always on sale. I mean they go down as cheap you know about fifty nine dollars I think to to register your DNA. Um, but anyway, yeah, there, there's just, uh, there's all kinds of things that you can kind of do um, where you can sort of, you know, put your feelers out there in, in each of the different larger companies. Um, Cause like I said, I, I've done it myself with my own DNA and um, you know, a lot of matches I can see, Oh, well they also registered their DNA with, you know, this company and this company, they're a match, you know, for me across the board here. But then there are others who, you know, I might have a match in my heritage that did not pop up as a match in mm-hmm. ancestry. Mm-hmm. And I, I would never have gotten that match sure. if I would have just done ancestry. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you, you talk with the client because again, I mean, not everybody has just money to, you know, throw at all these different, uh, companies. For sure. Uh, and, yeah. and also, you know, if they're hiring me, they're also, you know, paying me to do some work for them. And so, you know, in trying to keep it as economical as possible, um, you know, it's not a bad idea to, to start with one. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think the most popular one is Ancestry. It's just the one that has the largest amount of people who have registered, which, you know, common sense, at least, you know, I think it's common sense if they're the one that has the largest you know, database, that would probably be the one to start right. with if you're just going to well, do one. Yeah. Um, I have it just some, makes sense. You know, there's more people in that one. I have some more questions about those databases, but we need to they need to take a really quick break. We'll be right back. Okay. Um, so let's think about those uh, databases. I want to talk about that more. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're back with Rochelle Davis, and we're talking about adoptions and actually uh, the genealogy and database agencies that will run your DNA and and maybe put you in contact with a long-lost relative. So, Rochelle, tell me, just describe the differences in the different companies for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I I hate to leave any of them out because there are several out there. Um, but, you know, we talked before Ancestry DNA is uh, definitely the most popular. Um, they have, uh, I think they have at least uh, 7 million, maybe I'm sure even more than that now, um, people who have registered with their company. And that's kind of the one, you know, that everybody hears, Ancestry DNA, Ancestry DNA. Um, mm-hmm. And they are... Um, I, I don't know how much you, you know, how much detail you want me to go into, but um, they really are, they've been around a long time. They're kind of known for their ease of use and, you know, reading your results because not everybody knows, you know, everything that, that goes into DNA and how it works. And, you know, a lot of times people just want to, to know like, oh, okay, I'm going to register my DNA and I just kind of want to want to see like the, the general stuff here. I want to know like, where do I come from? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of these will, will show, um, like regions where you're from and like where your ancestors are from and, you know, all of that's really fascinating to, uh, to look into. Um, but you know, for, for genealogists and anyone who's, you know, looking at building family trees and things like that and really diving into it, uh, you know, kind of the valuable information that you're looking for are your matches. 
Um, and so you've got, you know, a bunch of people who might register with uh, a company like Ancestry DNA, but they don't even look at their matches. They're, they're not interested in it. They just kind of want to know what, you know, am I really, um, you know, Native American? You know, that's, that's a story that I feel like everybody has that in their family. Oh, I, I think I'm, you know, one, one sixteenth Native American. And, right. <laughs> um, and so a lot of times I think people will take a, you know, these tests because they've just become so um, popularized. Uh, you know, in, in showing things like that, that those are the types of things that they're looking at. And they're not people who are, you know, serious about, you know, delving into their genealogy. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, a lot of these, these databases, you know, offer the same types of things. They really do. Um, I've registered with, with some of the, the top ones, um, like Ancestry and um, 23andMe. Uh, family tree DNA is another big one, um, and they they each kind of have their their own you know drawbacks and and their own strengths. Like Twenty Three and Me is one that uh, offers something that a lot of the others don't, and they offer a health feature, and so that again has become very popular with people where you know mm-hmm. they'll register with Twenty Three and Me because they want to know more about, you know, their health and maybe, you know, different diseases that might run in their family or, you know, how, how likely am I to maybe, you know, get um, cancer later on or, you know, just different things like that. Um, so they, they all kind of have their own offerings, their own, uh, you know, strengths. There's one called uh, Living DNA that's not quite as well-known as some of the others. Uh, and that one is one that is really meant more for, at least currently, more for people who have a lot of ancestry in Europe. Um, they just mm. are very, um, they're a Europe-based company and um, not to say that they aren't branching out because they are, but if you have a lot of European ancestors, which I do, um, I registered with Living Tree DNA because it can kind of go back and give me um, some of those, you know, ancestors that are further back in my tree, um, I can start pinpointing a little bit more and finding out more information about my European ancestors. So if you're very, you know, like I, I first started with ancestry DNA, like a lot of people do, and then, you know, getting those results back and seeing how heavy, you know, the presence my ancestors had in Europe, I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do living, living DNA as well because I know that that one is, is very strong in Europe. So it's just kind of, you know, little things like that, little differences in things um, where, you know, you, you can just, I mean, everyone can do their own Google, you know, searches and just kind of look at these different um, companies and what they have to offer. Um, so, so, Rochelle, that's, that's I'm sorry, of, Rochelle, what... Yeah. Um, um, for the people that haven't ever done this, can you talk about the process a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really a pretty, across the board, it's mostly the same with just a few little differences. But basically what you do, you you can get online, you can you know make the purchase for a DNA kit to be mailed to your home. And uh, it's mailed to you in, you know, a little box. And um, it's, it's either you spit in a little vial <laughs> or you do um, a cheek swab. 
So, you know, some of them do the cheek swab, some of them do the vial, but it's, it's going to be one of those two different, different methods. Okay. Um, but, you know, it, it takes 10 minutes or less, I would say. Um, but each one has, you know, prepackaged instructions, step one, do this, step two, do this, you know. And so once you collect your DNA, you um, seal it and, you know, send it back in a box that they provide for you and just, you know, toss it in the mail and, and that's it. Um, most of them, the turnaround time, they say, is around six weeks. Um, it just kind of depends, you know, how busy they are. Um, you know, my experience, most of them said around six weeks. A lot of them got my results before that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them as, as quickly as about three weeks. Um, but, you know, they say around six weeks is sort of the turnaround time. And then uh, most of them, they give you login information to where you just log in to their their portal, you know, online. And you can access your results. They'll email you once they're ready. You can access your results and it just, you know, pops up on your screen and, and you're good to go. <laughs> okay. And it's pretty exciting. And, some, you know, sometimes you don't get a direct hit, but you get a third or fourth tier relative yeah. that puts you in contact yeah. with others. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, when you're actually doing the adoption searches and the kinds of things you run into. Yeah. So yeah, do you want uh, me to kind of talk about just um, different things that happen whenever whenever I make contact with the person who's, who's being searched out? Yeah. First of all, tell us your process. When, when, you've, when yeah. you've located somebody, okay. what is your process? Yeah. Well, um, my really a, a very important point that, that I always um, talk with my client before they hire me is um, the fact that I act as an intermediary for them. I don't just, um, you know, find a person's information and then pass it on to my client and say, here you go. Um, And I don't do that, you know, for a few reasons. Um, You know, first, I think it just protects the person that I'm I'm searching for. Um, I mean, you know, I put myself in that position and I don't want you know, just anybody to be able to hire a private investigator to get all my personal information and to know my my phone number and my address. And, you know, I don't want someone just showing up on my doorstep um, right. because I think, you know, sometimes that's what we kind of have in our brains. And even some, you know, clients um, that I've had contact me, that's kind of their intention in the beginning. They they think, okay, I'm, I was adopted. I want to find my birth mom. I want to find my birth dad. And I want to just show up on their front porch and knock on their door and have them open the door and say, you know, I'm, I'm the Surprise. child that you placed for adoption. Um, <laughs> right. You know, um, you, you see things like that in movies and it just, it, it doesn't, doesn't go well. Um, I just, I don't think that that is, is the right thing to do. I don't, I don't think that that is fair for the person who's being sought out, you know, um, mm-hmm. The person who hires me, my client, has had a lot of time to think about and plan and prepare, okay, what am I going to say, you know, to to my biological mother when I finally talk to her? Um, She placed me for adoption, you know, 35 years ago. What am I going to say to her? And, you know, that, that person has had time to think about that and has made the decision to do the search. And, uh, you know, you've got to also think on the, the reverse side of that coin, the person who's being um, searched, 
you know, if, if I'm a, a biological mother who placed a child for adoption 40 years ago, I, you know, maybe was told at the time when I placed them for adoption, hey, it's going to be best for them. Don't ever try to, you know, contact them or to find them because it's best for them to live their life and, and you know, right. for you to not be a part of it. Or, you know, maybe there's some, some negative things that happen and I have some negative feelings about the whole thing or, you know, it, it wasn't a pleasant experience or, you know, back you know, 40 years ago, maybe my parents are the ones who really forced me to, to, you know, put my child up for adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, And that wasn't really my choice, but I was kind of coerced into it. So there can be a lot of emotions, you know, involved in that. And I just, I don't think it's fair to just, you know, lay that out there for a person when they're, especially when they're not expecting it. I can't imagine, you know, getting a phone call or, or having someone show up on my doorstep and say, Hey, I'm, I'm your child. Um, you know, you True. can imagine what that right. might do. Regardless, regardless <laughs> so, of the circumstances, it would be a shock no matter what the circumstances right. yeah. are. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, taking that into account, that's why I like to be that intermediary um, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, when I do attempt to make contact with the person, I can kind of disarm them. You know, I'm, I'm not the person that's searching for them. I, you know, I'm searching on behalf of my client and, you know, they don't, they don't have to feel that they have to react a certain way um, mm-hmm. toward me, you know, if, if their reaction is shock, which, you know, nine times out of 10, it is, <laughs> um, right. you know, if they react even in, in a negative way initially, because they're just so shocked, um, I can absorb that blow a mm-hmm. lot easier than my client can, you know, it's For really sure. going to hurt my client if that person reacts in a certain way, it doesn't hurt me at all. You know, I understand their reaction. I understand they're going to be shocked. I understand if, you know, if they're angry or upset or hang up the phone on me or whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be, you know, I can absorb that as a third party who doesn't have anything to do with this, you know? Exactly. Um, So, and, and I think too, it just, it helps the person that I am contacting to, you know, of course, they're going to have their guard up and they're going to have, you know, a lot of times they're going to have questions. Um, but I think it's just, it's a lot easier for them to get a phone call from a private investigator who's a professional who, you know, can can give them information in the best way possible. Um, you know, they they can just react a lot better, I think, with that rather than, you know, their actual child or their, you know, um, or if it's a birth parent searching for, mm-hmm. you know, the child or whatever, you know, vice versa. Um, I just think having, having that cushion is, is a really good idea. I think it's probably the only way to go because, you know, when you're surprised or shocked, you say things that maybe you would never say had you thought it through, but you just react. Yes. And, and some of those yes. things can be very hurtful. Yes. And I, I do get that a lot where, you know, an initial reaction is, is maybe not the best reaction. But, you know, one of the things I talk about with them, I'm like, hey, I understand you are probably very, very shocked right now. And I want to give you some time to just, 
think think on things and you know this is my name this is my my phone number you can call me back or hey I'll call you back in a week after you've had some time to process and and to think about things you know um, mm-hmm. and just give them some time and sometimes that's absolutely what they need you know um, where that initial contact is pretty brief and it's you know maybe a little negative or just just shock um, you know they just a lot of times people don't know what to say um, and so it's it's good for me to to give them that time and to say hey you know process this and take the time that you need and then then you know you can contact me and then we can talk about it um, What's- you know once once you've had time to kind of the the initial shock can wear off and, and you want to talk What's the most dramatic reaction you've had? Um, I don't know that if it's the most dramatic. I, I've had, um, this has only happened one time, but I have had a birth mother who, I, I mean, I had so many, um, I had so much evidence that she was the birth mother. I mean, it was just no question she is the birth mom, Um and and she just flat out denied it. Um, she just wouldn't accept it, just flat out denied it. No, I am not the birth mom. Leave me alone. Don't contact me again. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that that's been the most shocking. Um, and again, that's only happened one time. Um, but yeah, that, that would definitely be the most dramatic, I would say. Okay, you know, we're going to take an, another quick break, uh, Rochelle, but when we come back, you had a very unusual situation with a, with a client that I want to, I want to talk about where uh, you were asked to come up with the reasons why uh, somebody didn't want to be located. So, yeah, yeah we'll, come, we'll come right back with that, Rochelle, because I think you did just a fabulous job on that. I, it's something everybody should hear. All right, very good. All right. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. 
NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at piesdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Rochelle Davis is an adoption search expert with New Hope Investigations, and she's talking about the things she's run into when she's locating uh, either birth parents or birth uh, children. They're looking for their parents. And uh, Rochelle, you have a very interesting situation where you talk to a mother who didn't want to be found. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I had, uh, it was last year, around this time last year, I had, uh, it was actually an adoptive father who contacted me and who was my client. And um, he, just on, you know, behalf of his, um, his daughter, he wanted to go ahead and pursue a search for her biological mother and father so she could have that. Uh, whenever she was ready. Um, and he kind of, you know, talked to me about how he wanted to do this search uh, without her because he wanted to kind of protect her from, okay, what if I hire you to do this search and you're unsuccessful and, you know, we can't find them. I, I want to protect her from that. But I also, you know, I want to be able to tell her that I did what I could to find her birth mom and birth dad, that I, you know, hired a professional to do this. And I just, you know, his, his whole intent really was just um, wanting to protect his daughter. And so, so he hired me to find, um, he wanted to first search for the biological mother. And he actually had a lot of information on her. Um, it, he ended up going through a bunch of the hospital records and just different things that they were given whenever their daughter was born. And they, they took their daughter home from the hospital. They adopted her from birth. And um, so he started sifting through the information and had a lot of information. Just um, there's, there's what's called non-identifying information, which would be things like um, descriptions of maybe, you know, social history of the birth mom and the birth dad and maybe jobs they had at the time, their ages, um, hobbies and interests that they had, just different things like that. And so he had a, a bunch of that, uh, you know, kind of supporting documentation. And then we also, as we were, he, he sent me a bunch of information that he had. And as we were going through everything, um, we found what we believed was the, the birth mother's social security number. Hmm. And so, you know, with obviously with something like that, it's going to be pretty easy to find that person. And so anyway, with all the, the information he had, he, he just had a ton of it. Um, I, I found the, the biological mom, you know, real quickly. And 
you know, just every data point matched up, every, every little piece just matched up. And so, um, I, you know, when I initially contacted her, um, she was very, very nice. And, uh, but she, you know, said, Hey, I'm, I'm not the person that you're saying I am. I, I did not place a child for adoption 19 years ago. You, you know, you, you've got the wrong person. And so, you know, as, as the case unfolded, um, I kept in contact with her and I kept in contact with my client and just, you know, kind of kept going back and forth with information. And um, it really just came down finally to a point where, you know, I just asked her to start verifying the different, you know, bits of information that I had about this, you know, birth mother, because she just kept saying, you know, that she was not the birth mom. And, um every, everything matched. I mean, every little everything, you know, her social security number matched, her name matched, um, her city where she had stayed her whole life, that matched. Um, in, in all of the information we had on, we had a lot of information on the, the birth mom's family, you know, the, the grandparents' names matched, all of the siblings, hmm. their um, their careers, their, you know, just everything. It was every little piece of information matched. And, but she still was just, you know, I don't know how you have all my information. This is not me. I, I did not place her for adoption. I, you know, I don't know. I just don't understand. I'm so confused. I don't know why you have all my information. You know, it was kind of that type of a thing. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but, but as I was talking to her, she kind of started, um, I, I don't know if I want to call them hints or, or what, but she kind of started throwing things out there that I really felt that she was sort of, she was still denying that she was the birth mom, but she, she was very, um, well, you know, if I were the birth mom, you know, kind mm-hmm. of giving me some scenarios. And then she came out and said, well, you know, I didn't place a child for adoption 19 years ago. I did place a child for adoption, but it wasn't 19 years ago, and it, it was not this child, you know. Um, so she kind of kind of started hmm. changing her tune a, a little bit, um, and she also made it very clear. She was like, "If I if I was the birth mom, this would just be such a a shock." And especially with my husband that I have now. I mean, he doesn't even know anything about anything like this, and it would just really turn his world upside down. And so I felt like she was just sort of, you know, she was would not admit that she was the birth mom, but she was also sort of trying to tell me, you know, like, here are the reasons why <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. denying this, you know, mm-hmm. like, it would turn my world upside down. My husband would just be devastated, you know, things like that. Um so, you know, at that point, I just, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to keep pushing, um, pushing her. And, and you also, you know, kind of sometimes take into account, could she be confused on her timeline? You know, is there maybe mental illness that could be involved or, you know, I sure. mean, there's just a whole host of, of scenarios that, that really could, um, could be, you know, reasons why she's, she's denying this because it just, you know, there were just way too many um, things that we knew about the, the birth mom that it, it was her, you know, there was just, there's just no way it's, it's someone else. 
Um, and I mean, we took, we took everything into account, you know, the possibility of the hospital mixing up records. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. everything that mm-hmm. we could, could come up with because, you know, when you're, when you're talking, trying to find a, a biological, you know, parent for an adoptee, you absolutely don't want to, to give them the wrong information and, you know, for you to come back and say, hey, this is your biological mother and it's actually someone else. Right. Um, so and, Rochelle, and this could actually happen. Excuse me, I said we have about ten minutes left, and I know mm-hmm. the dad asked you to to write to write a letter to his daughter. How old was was the daughter anyway? Do you know? Nineteen. I'm Nineteen sorry, years old. Yeah. Nineteen. Nineteen. Okay, and he asked you to write a letter to the daughter, explaining all the reasons why a birth mother might might not want her identity known. Can yes. you take the rest of the time and talk about what you put into that letter? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I started my letter to her. Um, I I wrote him a report, but then it, you know ended up writing this letter for for his daughter, and I I told her you know what um, her dad had done for her and kind of why he had chosen to to do this search for her to protect her. Um, and, uh, then told her, I, I went through everything that I had done with the search, you know, from, from A to Z, um, and who I had identified as her, her biological mother. And, um, and then I, I went into, you know, why some, some different reasons why she might be denying that she is her biological mother, um, and, you know, kind of talked in the letter about how I know that, you know, that, that could probably be a, a real hurtful thing um, to feel like, you know, your, your biological mother is denying you. Um, and so I, I just went in and, and just, I did some research and, and just kind of brainstorming on my own. I have a few friends who are actually um, birth mothers who place children for adoption. I talked with them a little bit and um, just kind of put together several different uh, potential, you know, scenarios or reasons why a, a birth parent might, you know, still today deny their existence or just, you know, deny their relationship to them. Um, you know, and, and in those reasons, I mean, I, I listed different things like just, you know, initial shock and, you know, especially from years and years ago, um, adoption was a very mysterious you know, shrouded in secrecy, it's important, you know, your, your identity will remain confidential. You know, I think a lot of, of birth parents, birth mothers, especially were, were kind of falsely promised that, that, Hey, you know, once this is done, it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, another reason is just regret. You know, you might have biological parents out there who regret placing their child for adoption and it's a real painful experience for them. Um, you know, they've, they've moved on with their life and to open that door just might be too painful for them. Um, Mm -hmm. there might be a bunch of, of secrets and negative things associated with the adoption. You know, it, it might've been something that they hid from their family back then that their family still doesn't even know, you know, they might have a husband and, and children today that have no idea that the adoptee even exists. And so how are they going to explain that, you know, to, to their current family? Um, you know, an, an adoption could be the result of an affair. It could be the result of rape or some, 
something along those lines. You know, mm-hmm. there there could be some trauma involved with with all of that. And you know, imagine if if you were the birth mom and you conceived a child. Um, as a result of rape, and then you have this child years later who's coming and, you know, shows up on your doorstep or calls you on the phone, um, I, you know, you can imagine the the type of trauma that that would bring exactly. back up, you know, to the surface. And, um, you know, uh, they might be in a position in life where they just have so many other things going on. They have health issues going on themselves or they're taking care of an elderly parent or, they have a sick child or, you know, um, mm-hmm. just different things that are going on in their life right now. The timing's not right. They have a chaotic life right now, you know. Um, it, it might be a matter of them still trying to protect, protect that child that they placed for adoption. Maybe there's, you know, mental illness in the family. There's addiction. There, You know, maybe they're ashamed still today. Maybe they still, you know, don't have their their life in order and they are just too ashamed to face that and to face their child and, and, you know. And I think that's a good word for it, Rochelle, shame. There is a lot of shame, no matter how you look at it, uh, for a birth mother uh, to give it the child. And, and, you know, you said something uh, in the article I read that after you became an adoptive mother yourself, you didn't see the sacrifice. Can you talk about that? Because we're almost at the end of our hour, but yeah. would you talk about that from your perspective? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I, my husband and I adopted our son. Um, he's he's four, about four and a half now, and we adopted him from birth. And um, until we adopted him and, you know, had a relationship with his, um, his biological mother, you know, we, we met her a few times before she... She gave birth and, you know, until that, and, and we even still, I, I write her letters and send her photographs of, of our son. Um, I didn't, didn't take into account. I didn't realize, you know, the sacrifice that she was making. Um, you know, my husband and I couldn't have biological children of our own and just, you know, knowing that I would not be a mother without her and her mm-hmm. sacrifice and her mm-hmm. choice to give her son to us, um, that just really changed my perspective on uh, on biological parents, you know, everywhere, the right. sacrifice that they make. You know, they're not just men and women who are down and out and, you know, oh, they, they gave up their child. How could you give up your child? I could never do that. You know, you, you hear that a lot. And I mm-hmm. just... I'll come to the defense now any time of, of biological parents um, because you don't know, you know, their whole story. You don't know what they went through. And, and in my case of my son, we do know what she went through and we do know why she chose to place him for adoption. And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not what I think a lot of people have in their mind of, you know, yeah, oh, they just true. dismiss them. And it's just, that's not the case. I, my respect went way up for them. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much because I think this has been a really uh, huge education on a lot of levels uh, for our listeners and, and for me as well. So I, I appreciate you being on the show. We are totally out of time, uh, but it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much. And, and that letter you wrote, is, I just think is a fabulous idea. 
Uh, so for the rest of you, it's PIs Declassified. Stay tuned for another episode next week. And Rachel, or Rochelle, I'll pronounce it right, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 